Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Harlow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, and you're on the record. Amazing time of year when kind of everything comes together, whether it's racing, basketball, the end of football, hockey, the outdoor game, golf heats up. We're all chasing that elusive title of biggest sport, but it doesn't matter because there's enough pie to share with everybody. Today, Pete Ward, the uh, CEO uh, and president of the Indianapolis Colts, not only talks about the legacy and the move from Baltimore years ago, but he also talks about what Indianapolis has become on the heels of the All-Star game that just happened from the NBA perspective, so the timing couldn't be better. But as we always do, let's start with the opening drive, the four top stories of the week. Number one, speaking of the All-Star game, we're not only talking about Sunday, I'm not even going to talk about the Sunday results. I'm going to talk about the Saturday night unbelievable All-Star weekend shootout. Ionescu and Curry, doesn't really matter whether it's 37 points or 29 points and all of the issues. And by the way, Curry won 29-26 between the two of them, but it's a milestone in women's sports beyond the court. The Scripps and Ion WNBA deal is about $38 million annually through 2025. That's going to change. The NBA's staggering deal is $2.6 billion in annual revenue, and it only gets bigger. The bottom line is this certainly does help. WNBA, known for its passion and engagement, offers a valuable audience for advertisers, as evidenced by a 30% increase in ad effectiveness during the 2023 NBA Finals. As for the event itself, I and everybody else glued Saturday, not so much Sunday. The NHL has figured out a way to rest the final game into a most interesting event. NBA still got to do it. We'll have to see what happens. That's number one. Number two, let's talk about another woman basketball superstar. Usually don't combine like this, but this was a special week. Caitlin Clark's record-breaking achievement, the catalyst for women's basketball and sports marketing. Her ascent to the pinnacle of NCAA women's basketball, the all-time leading scorer, a monumental personal achievement and a significant moment for the sport and its commercial landscape. Her historic performance, surpassing Kelsey Plum's record, 3,569 points in just 126 games. It captivated fans and reshaped the narrative around women's basketball. Her journey to the record was marked by a deep three-pointer early in the Iowa-Michigan game, igniting the home crowd into a frenzy celebration. Trailblazers like Billie Jean King have laid the groundwork for equity and recognition in athletics, and Clark's achievements continue to push these boundaries. Her success brought unprecedented attention to women's basketball, selling out arenas and drawing record crowds. 
underscoring the growing appeal and marketability of the sport. The commercial impact of Clark's achievements, equally noteworthy, her achievement in NIL deals has set new precedent for athlete endorsements and State Farm, Nike, and others valued in the sports marketing ecosystem. And Clark's NIL deals, which athletes have perceived and valued in sports, have been high, underscoring the potential for women's basketball players. And Clark's record has been a very important deal, a harbinger for new uh, deals to come. 3,000 career points and 1,000 career assists. First player in NCAA Division I history. You don't have to say men versus women or men's records or women's records anymore. We know what it is and will continue to be that way. And that's number two. Number three, the NHL outdoor basically doubleheader, two days at MetLife. Massive crowds and celebratory atmosphere. The Devils triumph over the Flyers, 6-3. The Rangers overtime victory over the Islanders, 70,000 in one, close to 80,000 in another. The bottom line is the NHL was a little worried internally a while ago, you could argue, that the Winter Classics, especially ones beyond New Year's, were, were getting watered down. The key was is find locations, find rivalries, find stadiums that wouldn't normally have it, and there you go. It's a deal that basically nobody has seen the popularity of and will continue to do it as they move forward. And that's number three. And then finally, we come back to All-Star NBA Saturday night. Well, it's an obvious answer, but it did rebound from last year's low, and the Nielsen Fast Nationals showed it was up 31% from last year's low of $3.42 million and the largest audience for the event since it's averaged $5.05 million in 2023, and that's 2020. That's three local uh, telecasts. And, and when did it peak? Obvious. Curry and Sabrina, the three-point shooting contest. And the six minutes, the people who watched at least six minutes, jumped 54% to $10 million, and therefore... The All-Star Saturday night snapped a year-long streak of declines for big four All-Star events, becoming the first to post a year-over-year increase since the 2023 NHL All-Star game on ABC. That's number four. Theme, women's sports, life in an otherwise dormant All-Star week. Post-Super Bowl, we'll cover that in a few minutes. Great NBA All-Star weekend. Colts seem to have almost made the playoffs last year and are building for the future, have won Super Bowl before. 40 years since the 1984 moving truck backed up in Baltimore and ended up in Indy. Now it's a major sports city. Pete Ward, CEO, president, the Indianapolis Colts. 40 years. Colts in my blood, he says. They certainly are. Uh, responsible in part for Lucas Oil Stadium in 08, the 2012 Super Bowl, now part of the Indy All-Star group that just had a successful event. Since relocation, 16 playoffs, two conference championships, um, two Super Bowls. By the way, all four Super Bowls, the Colts, the old Colts, new Colts in Miami. Interesting. The Ursay family since 1971, a loyal guy and 
certainly knowing more about the NFL and its history than most people out there. Let's talk to and hear from CEO Pete Ward. Have you ever thought about the trade-off? Some of your contemporaries around the league have been through six, seven, eight, nine jobs, college, pro, and they take away diverse experiences, but you're a rock. You're a Baltimore rock, and certainly you're an indie rock. How does it make you feel? Uh, you know, I'm proud of it. I've been really lucky. It's, you know, what I wanted to do since I was a kid, you know. And uh, But being with the same franchise, the same company for this long, um, you got to have uh, you got to have a, a little bit of, of luck, I think. Um, and and honestly, uh, no one, <laughs> you know, know the right times to duck. But I, that's what I always tell people, you know, because, uh, um, you know, we went through the, you know, the Robert Rousset era, you know, and the move. And then, um, you know, Jim took over the team in 97. And um, it's been a great, uh, you know, family to work for. I work for uh, the daughters, uh, you know, Carly, uh, Casey, and Kaylin, per se, as well. And, um, and it's a wonderful family, a lot of big hearts and a lot of um, a lot of caring about their community. So they set a great example for the organization. You're known as starting your career as an unpaid intern. I'll take I'll take anything. Uh, but you grew into one of the most revered and respected uh, sportsmen in Indianapolis and the NFL. Uh, would you advise people today in the hectic and frenetic pace of how to get a job in the NFL, you got to take what's offered. Is that probably kind of what the advice ought to be? You know, there's no question. And the competition now for kids, young people coming up and wanting to work in sports is so keen because when I was in college, you know, there was maybe one or two other universities that offered a degree in sports management or administration or communications. And now it's almost every, and Rick, you probably know the number, but it's almost every college has some sort of program so you have uh you know like we get over a thousand resumes for our internships and and when i went to the baltimore colts back in 1981 asking them if they could use a free volunteer they said oh yeah sure that'd be great you know um so the the scene has really changed and so i tell young people today you know, do anything to get your foot in the door and then make yourself as valuable as possible so they don't, so they can't get rid of you, right? <laughs> they, they, you know, do embrace the, you know, the, the crap duties, the duties that no one else wants to do and, and do them well. And, and that's the way to get noticed. Well, it's the leverage, obviously. You said it, a thousand resumes. Uh, the number, by the way, is nearly 450 schools, law, administration, marketing, uh, business, and obviously, the uh, number of students uh, who are qualified uh, much more significant. And, and frankly, the idea of uh, turning out a workforce that now contributes substantially to what we said, the $1.3 trillion business of sports, is, is, is tremendous. And uh, you guys, talk about the legacy for a minute, because I'm sure everybody, uh, it's not just a thousand, there are a lot more people that want to work with the Colts, uh, the legacy of of working with a successful franchise in an incredible market that's been at the top of its game since March 28, 84, when the moving van started away from Baltimore. And now look how it's grown. Uh, reflect back on that. Well, honestly, when we first moved to Indianapolis, it was a, uh, it was a, a basketball state. 
and city. Uh, we were, um, you know, they were very happy and excited to get an NFL team because everyone had grown up watching NFL football from afar, watching the Bears and the Packers and, and, uh, and, and becoming fans of those teams primarily. So we had a lot of work to do. And uh, it was, you know, it was a, a really a time of mixed emotions because uh, we knew we had to make the move. Um, ownership knew that the move had to be done, um, but we left a lot of great fans, uh, great employees back in Baltimore. So it was really a time of mixed emotions. You don't want to have to go through something like that more than once in your life, certainly. But, um, you know, through the years, uh, you know, we have grown as an organization. We've, we've become smarter. Um, you know, ownership has uh, certainly embraced the community. And, uh, and, and honestly, you know, when it seems like when the city needs a, uh, needs a hand uh, with, with a big project or, or um, you know, attracting a big event or whatever, you know, at some point they come to the Indianapolis Colts and we're a significant, it feels like we're really a significant piece of the fabric of our community. And that's, and that's fulfilling to me personally, but to everyone here to uh, know that we make a difference in our community. A lot of people talk the philanthropic game. You, you walk uh, the philanthropic walk. Uh, and it's not just top to bottom. It's everybody in the organization. Uh, where's that come from? Well, it starts at the top, really. And uh, <clears throat> as I said, it's, it's, the, it's Jim, Jim and his family. It starts that they're very generous in the community. They do things uh, financially to help uh, that people don't even know about, never know about. They, they know about some things, but they no, don't know about a lot that the, that the Ursays do or that the Colts do. And, uh, and as I said, that's the most fulfilling part of my job. We have this platform that, that enables, enables us to make a difference um, in our community. So we take advantage of that. And um, it's not only fulfilling, it's fun. You know, it's fun to, to help out. You know, uh, I'm ultimately still, Rick, first and foremost, a football fan. But the, uh, the off the field stuff is what uh, is, is really uh, most important to me. Um, you know, uh, from a fulfillment standpoint. Let, let, let's talk about let's talk about the house, meaning the uh, the Hoosier Dome, the RCA Dome, and then Lucas Oil uh, in two thousand eight and beyond. Uh, you had a whole group of economically oriented mayors, from Mayor Hudnut and Mayor Luger, uh, Mayor Goldsmith, and we know them all working together. And who could forget Mayor Ballard and the current administration? All committed to making sure that it became an important business development tool that many cities don't use and leverage. Talk about that a bit. Sure. Well, it started back in the 70s um, with Mayor Luger and, 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 and then Mayor Hudnut uh, on a strategy to attract, to use sports to, uh, um, to, to rebuild our downtown, to, to, to re recreate the vibrancy of downtown Indianapolis and, and for an, an economic development tool. So the uh, Indiana Sports Corporation was born in 1979 and the goals were to, uh, number one, were to um, attract uh, or build sports facilities and, and attract hotels to the downtown area uh, and then to attract major sporting events to, uh, you know, in turn attract more and more visitors. and. Um, and then ultimately, after that, to attract 
uh, governing bodies like the NCAA, um, you know, U.S. Track and Field, and and um, you know the National Federation of State High Schools, and, and so forth and so on. So it was an economic development tool, a great strategy. And, and one of the things they did was, the, <laughs> what seemed crazy at the time, was to build a, an NFL caliber stadium with no NFL team. You know, uh, and if they hadn't have done that. I'm sure that the Colts would have probably landed in in Phoenix or, or Memphis or some other market. But we came to Indianapolis, and the and the Hoosier Dome was waiting for us. And at the time, it was a state of the art uh, facility. It was a dome, and it had suites, you know, which was totally foreign to us. a lot of teams back then. had a had a big screen, uh, you know, uh, video board in one end of the <laughs> just one end of the stadium, and uh, that was it. That was state of the art back then billion dollar commitment uh, for the convention center uh, expansion as well as Lucas Oil, it wasn't the same bill that they will come because you were there. But the vision of doing this for mega events, not just Final Fours and not just NCAAs and, and, uh, and God, a Super Bowl even. And then obviously Super Bowl comes longer 2012 beyond, I will tell you, anybody's expectations. So that strategy, was there ever any kind of counterproductive, well, this is too much, we're not going to do it. Any pushback on that strategy? Uh, nothing major, no. I think that, that's the thing that makes Indianapolis so unique. Everyone everyone bought in, and, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a partisan uh, uh, situation. It was a bipartisan uh, effort, and uh, everyone bought in. And uh, and, and uh, it, was, it, it was for sports primarily, but it was also attached to the convention center. So it automatically added convention and showroom space. And then they started to connect the hotels by covered walkways and tunnels and created this perfect community for big events, you know, where it, it, uh, you know, in Indianapolis, the one thing that um, that was a challenge for Indy was is the weather in the wintertime. So they created these covered walkways uh, and heated walkways to allow uh, all these uh, hotel uh, uh, you know, guests to easily uh, attend an event without ever having to walk out in the snow or rain. But talking about the post uh, relocation successes of the Colts and, you know, the Peyton Mannings, the, the Lux, 16 playoffs, two conference championships, one and one in Super Bowls, uh, and obviously the commitment of reaching uh, the pinnacle, beating the Bears in that 2006. Uh, Super Bowl game. Uh, proudest moment was that game, or was it just the body of work? Um, I, I would I would say it, it was both. That was certainly a pinnacle, and we had had a, a number of heartbreaking years where we um, where we felt we could have won the big one, you know, and then and then to um, to to do it, actually do it uh, for the 2006 season, and the way it was done, uh, you know, the this made for Hollywood championship game against the Patriots that got us to the Super Bowl, um, all, all just was so euphoric for the city. Um, but uh, but re really, I mean, just seeing the state just turn into a, a football stand, still a basketball, a great basketball market. But um, just to see this, the, the dynamics of the city and state turn, you know, gradually through the years, um, uh, where, um, where where football is just you know so popular now, 
that, that, so that, that's kind of um, and and the Colts are, you know, are um, you know just a, a prominent a prominent citizen in our in our city and state and making a difference. So it's it's a combination, Rick. Really, is there any cannibalization among the sports promoters in town and the Indiana Sports Corp, or is it really best practices tide lifts all boats? I don't think there's. I haven't seen any cannibalization. No, I really haven't. I think there's room for uh, you know for us and and all these big events and the Pacers. I think uh, if the Pacers were ever to leave our city, our downtown would suffer horribly. And the same if, if the Colts were to ever leave, and um, not that not that there's ever a chance that that would happen, you know, but to have these big events, um, I think, you know, I've always said what's good for the city is good for the Colts. What's prosperous for the city is is good for the Colts because it just means more, uh, you know, more resources to uh, support, you know, uh, the, the community's NFL team, you know, in terms of buying suites and club seats and so forth. And we need that support as, as a small NFL market. You've understood what the market dynamics are for, as we've said, 43 years. Let's shift a little bit to the NFL uh, from a global perspective. So an incredible purchase price of the Broncos. Nobody would ever think that would have been beaten. But lo and behold, months later, the uh, uh, general partner and his 20 limiteds pay a 30 percent higher uh, premium for the commanders. And we have an average number, not that people have to agree to this number, but Forbes estimates a $5.1 billion average price. And in fact, if you accept that, according to their statistics, the aggregate value of the entire league, about $163 billion, is almost as much as the NBA and Major League Baseball combined. The NFL, clearly a juggernaut. Nobody's talking about selling. Uh, the primary reason... Why that is, it's, I guess it's a combination of uh, stability and, 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 and ownership and a whole host of those things. But wh- how, how would you uh, summarize the uh, amazing leverage and increase in value of, of the NFL today? You know what? I go back to the basics. It's just a great game, and it <laughs> translates well to television and to, and to video. And you go all the way back to 1958. Rick, when uh, baseball was uh, still a national pastime and, and televising that 58 championship game introduced our, our nation to the drama that is so prevalent with NFL football. It was, you know, the, it was called the greatest game ever played, you know, when in the overtime and so forth. What a great, what a great game to really, you know, introduce the nation uh, to NFL football. And then by 64, I think the marketing studies say that the NFL – had become the most popular uh, viewing sport in the nation. And it's just gone on from there. And, and it just, you're right, it's a juggernaut. People can't get enough of it. And, um, and, and so I, I, tr- I basically just <laughs> attribute the, the franchise values to the popularity of the sport and, and what a great, uh, you know, what a great game it is, and and that's why it's so popular with the fans. I mean, we're extremely fortunate that that we're in the football business. Well, and frankly, look at uh, look what else happened. Obviously, in the late fifties, you had guys like the Mara family and and the and and the Tishes and, and Hallis and and the Fords uh, and the Rooneys getting together and say, "I have a novel idea. Let's share television revenue." Uh, that way, that way, Green Bay can uh, and Indianapolis can coexist in the same way as the New York franchises. 
Uh, we all know that could never happen today in any other league, and that's got to be the key. Do you think a lot of the owners, and they're all going to come together at the commissioner's event and all of this here in Vegas, do you think there is that understanding, especially with the new guys, the pioneering that went before them that caused these values to go so, go, go so high? Yeah, I think so. I think that, I mean, all of these um, gentlemen are, are obviously very intelligent. They, they've done incredible things, you know, in their other businesses and, and, got, and, and got to where they are as NFL owners because they're smart. And I think uh, that it's easy to recognize uh, the basic tenets that have made this league so successful. According to the numbers, NFL team debt is just 9% of team values. And, and I think that a lot of that is because there's a lot of family ownership that has been owning franchises for a long time, including your family's ownership or the Ursay family ownership. I assume there's a lot of community, not community, family pride around the Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner tables when the Ursay family discusses what happened in Baltimore, but also what's happening in Indy. Oh, no question. Um, uh, you know, I think, you know, I guess uh, Carly Ursay was born while um, the team was still in Baltimore. And so was Casey, actually. Casey, the, the second oldest daughter. Um, but they, uh, there's no... I mean, there's no question about it. They consider themselves Hoosiers. You know, they grew up in Indiana. Jim, um, you know, certainly does. And um, and we're just happy that things worked out well for both markets. You know, Baltimore has, you know, won two Super Bowls, you know, and and, uh, and they have a great following, you know, and they got a great team and a great ownership in Baltimore. And Indianapolis has... Uh, one certainly more than they've lost, and, and um, I seem to be uh, really happy to have us as an NFL uh, team. So I think it's been a win-win for both markets. Um, it's been 40 years, uh, Rick, for, 40 years uh, this March 28th since the move. So what's amazing to me is that it's still talked about so much. You know, 40 years ago is just amazing. And, uh, and um, but it was unprecedented moving in the middle of the night. It's not – that's not how I would recommend uh, <clears throat> uh, to a corporation uh, to when they, if they're relocated to it on, on five hours notice in the middle of the night. Well, Pete Ward not only has a very important role with the NFL and the Indianapolis Colts, he has been a Salute to Service uh, Award winner. He authors The Breakfast with Our Bets, Vets and Gold Star Families and incredibly philanthropic and has become a very important civic leader in Indianapolis, and frankly, taking the goodwill. Remember, there are 143,000 season ticket requests in the two weeks since the moving truck backed up in 1984. He's certainly taking advantage of the momentum of it and represents the Ursay family well. Look at the NFL, according to Forbes and some of the people who follow it. 32 teams, the average team value is $5.11 billion. What's next? Just finished the All-Star Game, the NBA All-Star Game and the NBA cumulative value 30 teams, but on average, only only 2.86 billion. And NFL, almost half. Major League uh, Baseball, 2.32 billion. Top 30 teams in soccer worldwide, 2.17 billion. Formula One, 1.88 billion. Indian Premier League, 10 teams, 1.04 billion. Then the NHL, average at a one point. Three, MLS 579. The point is, as the NFL continues to 
wonder how to generate more value, especially after the commander sale, let them understand that they're twice as valuable on average as any NBA team and even more than others. So obviously a big deal at the NFL level and a big deal in relatively small markets like Pete Ward's Indianapolis Colts. Interesting grab bag this week, as we always do. Top gambling, gaming issues, top tech, and good sports. Let's start with gaming. It has some implications for all non-gaming and gaming networks in the league and beyond. Penn CEO wants to continue getting users from the ESPN ecosystem to the betting app. Uh, The bottom line is the top folks at Penn Gaming continue to try to figure out how to generate dollars in its first two and a half months of operation. Ian ESPN bets promotional expense as a percentage of handle dropped from a typically stout 32% in the back half of November to 10% in December and less than 3% last month for the Super Bowl. Penn cut its promo offer in half, hoping to stay clear of samplers who are unlikely to return once their free bet credits are are gone. Little doubt that ESPN bet would break fast from the gate thanks to the massive megaphone of the network. Slick rebrand promoted by familiar faces at the network. Integrations featuring NFL and NBA studio shows and monthly active users rose from about 190,000 on the Barstool Sports app in Q3 to more than 770,000 using ESPN Bet in Q4. The question is, what will happen once the well of bet credits runs dry and customers who have been betting on FanDuel, DraftKings, and BetMGM are left to decide whether to redeposit and give ESPN Bet a longer look? Analysts, uh, according to Penn CEO Jay Snowden, were told that the case of ESPN Bet is exactly that. The third-party data showing a steady 15% share of weekly sportsbook users got engagement not an issue, they say. In December, ESPN Bet accounted for a combined 8% of handle in eight states that report results of individual sportsbooks. It ranked in the top three in a half of those states, no lower than fifth in any of them. Don't have our share of top three in the wallet yet, but we're getting the deposits. We're probably not getting the same size of deposits as the top competitors, but confident in saying we're one of the three or maybe four apps on the phone, and they think that's okay, telling the analysts. The new product is going to continue to get better and better, they say. They feel great a million new people in the database, most of them engaged on a regular basis, have to build the relationships and give a share of the wallet, and they think you'll see deposit coming along with that. Well, with anybody else, a bit skeptical. But with ESPN, you have to listen closely. That's gaming issues, but let's look at tech, because that's always driving much of what we talk about in the sports world, $1.3 trillion and more. First of all, Wilson's $2,500 airless basketball, a, a game changer or, or a gimmick? They've taken the basketball world by storm with the introduction of this airless basketball, a black 3D printed marvel that first caught the public's eye during last year's dunk contest. And while turning heads with this hefty price tag, the innovative creation raises several questions about its functionality, target market, 
and future of basketball technology. The airless basketball represents a significant departure from traditional designs, promising durability and consistent performance without the need for inflation. However, with only a few hundred units produced, it's clear that Wilson is targeting a niche market. The benefit remains, and the big question remains, who's going to invest? And from a technological standpoint, the airless design is intriguing. It suggests a potential future where basketballs no longer require air pumps and players never have to worry about a flat ball. Yet, the practicality of using a ball in regular play, especially given its price, is debatable. Airless basketball intended for professional athletes and collectors, and perhaps as a luxury item for the ultra-wealthy? Introduction of this basketball at a time when innovation in sports equipment is rapidly advancing prompts a broader discussion about the balance between technological progress and its accessibility. And while advancements like those can push the boundaries of what's possible, they also risk widening the gap between the average consumer and the cutting edge of sports technology. Wilson's venture into airless basketball technology undoubtedly marks an exciting development in the world of sports equipment. However, as the basketball community ponders the implications of this innovation, it will be interesting to see how Wilson addresses these questions and whether the airless basketball become a mainstream deal or remain a high-priced curiosity. That's interesting. And how about number two, NWSL? taps Google Pixel as its sponsorship production and content tech from a post-season perspective. Pitch side with Pixel is to be introduced with Google's AI-powered camera technology. The phone will be used to film and capture behind-the-scenes footage for the league in Google's linear digital and social channels. Technology giant sponsored to run a contest for U.S.-based fans, letting them join the pitch side with Pixel program at a regular season game. It's the latest women's soccer partnership for Google Pixel. The following recent tie-in sponsorships include German and English women's national teams, alongside naming rights sponsorships in Germany as well with the Bundesliga teams. Thrilled to welcome Google, according to chief marketing people at the NWSL, with the most exciting support they've got. It adds another deal and another bit of, of weaponry to the arsenal of women's sports. That's Tech 2. Tech 3, ACC approves in-game video access, helmet communication technology. They voted to implement two noteworthy technological initiatives in their annual winter meetings this last week in Charlotte. Sidelight access to in-game video and one-way coach-to-player communication devices, unanimously approved by the ACC head coaches, and will take effect in the 2024 season. The NFL has allowed electronic communication between coaches and quarterbacks on the field since 1984 and a designated defensive player since 2008, but the NCAA historically resisted adopting a similar practice, largely due to the array of logistical considerations at play in uniformly implementing the technology across its disparate programs, cost, safety, and competitive balance. The NCAA and the ACC 
have yet to finalize the full state of rules and policies around these initiatives, but in the announcement to the news, the ACC noted it'll be administered by the conference office to ensure competitive equity and they use either piece allowed to use the coach-to-player tech at an institution's discretion. It also granted a one-game waiver to Gallaudet University, the Division III school that serves deaf and hard-to-hearing students, to use the three-tech-enhanced helmet that enabled visual communication between the team's head coach on the sideline and select players on the field. A great AT&T commercial and a great cause. That's number three. And then number four, Amazon Web Services revolutionizes NFL cutting-edge AI machine learning. The ever-evolving landscape of the NFL gaining a competitive edge has become synonymous with the innovative use of technology. AWS, Amazon Web Services, has been at the forefront of this revolution. We've seen it in a lot of commercials. The head of sports and global professional services for AWS shared the enthusiasm saying that the model with the NFL extends way beyond injury injury prevention. It encompasses the creation of new statistics that enrich the fan experience and deepen the dimension of broadcasts, mainly through prime vision alternate between broadcast and more analytical approaches. Thursday Night Football, other examples and experience. And as AWS continues to push the boundaries of what's possible in sports technology, the NFL stands on the brink of a new frontier where AI and machine learning not only improve the on-field product, but also transform how fans interact with America's favorite sport. The partnership continues to grow and will continue to produce new technology and enhance the fan experience. Well, that's tech issues, and how about ending the grab bag as we usually do with some good sports issues. And number one, HBCU job fair is something that's never been offered before and is significant now. The 2024 All-State HBCU Legacy Career Fair, a landmark event, February 2022-23 at the Morial Convention Center in New Orleans, it's an integral part of a major event that's not gotten enough publicity, but will, because it's a couple weeks after the Super Bowl, but it is the All-State HBCU Legacy Bowl held at Tulane's Yeoman Stadium in a couple of weeks. But employers get job fair resumes and on and on. Obviously, the important issue here is they'll continue to provide offers for qualified students to get into the job market. That's number one. Number two, UK sports organization Guild Sports has announced an educational course for parents to learn about gaming and esports. How about that? Known as Parental Power Up Program, participants learn the fundamentals of Battle Royale and Fortnite on behalf of their kids. Over 700 children extended this facility in 2024 for a range of educational days, a busy year for Guild Sports. They're the ones that started this program, upskilling program as a perfect vehicle to grow the understanding between the parents and kids. What a great idea. That's number two. Number three, 
Welcome to the party, Texas All-Star, ex-Texan star, J.J. Watt and his foundation announces a milestone charity event. $7 million in donations recently, but now he is expanding that, becoming regional and national. The J.J. Watt Charity Classic softball game, May 4, Sugarland, Texas, a whole host of other events that he's also doing. Good for him. Obviously, life after football, very good with him. Then finally, Legends for Charity honors Tony Romo with the 2024 Pat Summerall Award. The annual dinner raises $2.1 million for St. Jude Hospital. The lead analyst for NFL on CBS receives the coveted Pat Summerall Award and the donors in the NFL community have come together to help the 400,000 kids across the globe with cancer and other life-threatening diseases each year. Uh, Stella Roy, St. Jude's supporter and philanthropist, announced a million-dollar donation, the single largest contribution in the 19-year history of this event, and it gets bigger and better every single year. Congratulations, philanthropy generally, and that particular event specifically also. Well, that's the top tech and top good sports and top gaming. Our grab bag continues to get more filled every single week. It's your final segment of the show, the three to watch. What are the three big stories you better pay attention to, not only today, but in the coming months? Number one. Salt Lake City's west side is to transform with a $3.5 billion power district project, including a potential MLB stadium. The Larry Miller Company, in collaboration with the family, has unveiled an ambitious plan for the power district. Nearly 100-acre mixed-use development poised to revitalize Salt Lake City's west side, injecting $3.5 billion into the area. The power district developed to be kickstarted and to be developed. We've got issues about expanding for the NHL with an arena on the other side. And now we're talking about a vibrant expansion of downtown Salt Lake. Larry Miller, obviously one of the sports pioneers in town. It's only going to help Salt Lake City's image potentially as the next Vegas in the mountain time zone. It's number one. Number two, the NHL extends its partnership with Verizon to include in-arena private 5G networks. Every arena, the official 5G partner, became their uh, relationship in the U.S. back in 2020. But now look for an enhanced fan experience in every one of these NHL buildings with massive new Internet and 5G capabilities. And then number three, the Suns announced a G League team for Phoenix. Owner Matt Ishbia's Player 15 company with his sports and entertainment world. He's spending wildly, but spending legitimately. He's looking at a payroll of more than $178 million at the end of the season and a $50 million tax bill that comes with that, with the Suns. But maybe more important, he is building a legacy over time, the legacy in Phoenix. It's men's and women's sports, and it looks like it's doing it right.
The league also went international when it had a team in Mexico City and added one ahead of the 21-22 season. Looks like they're going to take advantage of that Phoenix-Mexico tie as well. Well, that's our show for this week. We'd like to thank Pete Ward for participating. We'd like to thank Callie Kazair for putting this together with us and the whole group of people who work tirelessly to put this together. Thank you all for listening and watching. And join us next week when we continue to go on the record. Sports Professor Riccaro, speak with you soon.